it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, only prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Julio Rodriguez, and this is the Lookout Landing Podcast. Lookout Landing Podcast. My name is Matthew Robertson. I am a staff writer and podcast host at LookoutLanding.com. You can find me on Twitter at MRoberson22. And today I am joined by who I believe is our first international guest joining us all the way from Paris, France. Uh, we have Mike Duncan on the line, a podcaster, author, and most importantly for today's purposes, an avid Mariners fan. Mike, how is life outside of America right now? This is your chance to brag about how nice things are and make all of us stateside feel bad. Well, I think it's better. I will go out on a limb and say that it is uh, better than life in the United States at this moment. It's not perfect. Uh, you know, if you pay attention to international news at all, you know that you know, nothing is perfect anywhere in the world. But uh, sure, I'll go with it's better. <laughs> uh, do you want to tell the people why you are holed up in Paris right now? I am holed up in Paris because I am finishing at, at, at this very moment. I am actually breaking away from completing the manuscript for a biography of the Marquis de Lafayette called Hero of Two Worlds. The Marquis de Lafayette in the Age of Revolution, which will come out next spring, um, and so I and I moved with my family uh, to Paris to do research for the book about two years ago, like two and a half years ago, and um, 
so we're just we're here doing uh, doing that. That's very exciting. Is there any sort of baseball culture at all in France? Do people like I would imagine there's maybe some some Yankee hats that are more fashion than actual fandom uh, signifiers. But do people care about baseball? Is it mostly just American expats who have moved over there who are no pe- people people do not torch? care about ba- people do not care about baseball at all here. <laughs> there is absolutely no baseball culture. Um, I did I did Google around. There was um uh there, there there's the outline of a baseball field out at Bois de Vincennes, uh, which is like on the east east end of Paris. It's a big park named after General Pershing, uh, which I believe was probably set up by like World War One soldiers and then never never used again because nobody outside of uh you know nobody in France cares about baseball. But as you say, uh, I have walked by um. Uh, there are like a, there, there's like a, a boutique fashion shop right around the corner from my house that did does use uh, the the New York Yankees logo for their as a as a as a bit of like a as a fashion icon uh, as opposed to like care, people probably don't even know what it means besides just oh it, I mean it's associated with New York but certainly not with the Yankees at all. Yeah, I was wondering if maybe it was a, a DJ LeMayhew thing. I know he's not French at all, but he's got one of the Frenchest names in Major League Baseball, and maybe playing for the Yankees helped that. But I, I definitely did not have high hopes for baseball in France. It sounds like maybe you could do like a, a revival, or I guess it's not even a revival if it was never there, but you could do like a cool runnings kind of thing and bring baseball to France the way they did. Yeah. Like, 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 yeah. Or organize some ragtag bunch of Frenchies to like enter the world baseball classic. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah. We'll probably, we'll get, we'll get Tony Parker to play shortstop. He's he's probably, he's he's still, he's probably the best baseball player in France. He's a retired basketball player. Um, yeah. That's a great idea. Um, anyway, so Mike is the uh, hosted the History of Rome podcast. Currently hosts a podcast called Revolutions, and has published two books about Rome. On top of the thing you mentioned, currently working on the biography of Marquis de Lafayette. But today, he has agreed to share his experience as a Seattle Mariners fan with us, as that is clearly the most important thing from a historical point of view. I mean, people all over the world know about Rome and Marquis de Lafayette, but the Seattle Mariners, I mean, that's, that's a whole other can of worms that can really lead you down some interesting thought paths and life experiences, as I'm sure you know. Um, so my first question for you, Mike, is a very simple one. It's just, how did you become a Mariner fan? I assume growing up in the Pacific Northwest is part of it when the Mariners are on TV every night for six months a year, but when did it actually start to take? Like, when did you really start to care about the Mariners? I've been a bit so I grew up in Redmond, Washington, right? So, so I was born and raised in Redmond, and um, uh, just my my both my parents are baseball fans. Uh, you know, my dad grew up in LA, and he was a Dodger fan, and my mom grew up outside of San Francisco, and she was a Giants fan. But they moved to Seattle like in the mid '70s, and then then the Mariners became a thing in 1977, and. Um, you know, they they just kind of glommed on to the Mariners because this was, I mean, it was like in the late seventies, this is not this is not an era when you can you know still like maintain a real attachment to former teams. Like if you move someplace, you know the only the only game in town is literally the hometown team. So we started going to games. I I think the, the really the first baseball memories I have are like nineteen eighty five. And then 1986 is when I really start to remember a lot of things. And, and the 1986 World Series is the first World Series that I remember being played. Um, 
but it's really you know it it back in the 80s in seattle you know it was not baseball was on you know it's not like you could watch 162 mariner games a year um i don't even think when we were first starting out you could catch many road games that didn't start even until a couple years later but it is straight up like the the short answer to your question is yeah i was geographically assigned the mariners at birth and have been unable to escape that that assignment uh for the rest of my life because i'm i'm passionately attached to the team and happy that i am passionately attached to the team i mean for as um you know as, as objectively disappointing as you would say the franchise is um i i can't imagine rooting for another baseball team Right. And you've touched on what I think is probably the most absurd part of sports fandom in general and something that I've talked to other guests on this show about. It really is just like, oh, I, you know, my if the Mariners lose a game, then you're like you go down that thought process of like, well, my happiness today has taken a hit because the baseball team whose stadium is closest to the hospital I was born in. Correct. Did not win. And like just thinking about it in those terms is makes it almost like kind of sad on a on a certain level where it's like why am i letting this thing that has no like no actual connection to me other than proximity like affect my life and it happens to all of us and like you said there's no it's hard to get out of that especially with a team as like singular as the mariners like that really becomes a part of your personality more than anything i i I think so and it is a part of my personality and i i mean i don't think it's i mean it's of course absurd um but like practically everything about existence is ultimately absurd um but i you know rooting rooting for the hometown team uh i I think does have really nice uh there's a really cool uh, community aspect to it right we're just kind of everywhere you go we're all at least in this one regard all on the same side and this is true of any team you know uh, uh the, the seahawks or uh the sounders or the late lamented sonics which don't get me started on that um but uh, but these things that they, they, they do form a part of the fabric of any community that you're a part of and i think that it's really it it, it is a nice thing about sports that it provides that but once there there is also a business where like man it's like the 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 thing you were imprinted on you know like like one of those baby birds that will you know imprint on a a golf ball if it's the first thing they see after they come out of the womb and think it's their mom um you know i moved i've moved around a bit sit you know i i around about uh when i turned 30 you know i moved to texas for a while and then i lived in wisconsin for a while and now i live in france and and when we were in when we were in wisconsin and i thought i w- i thought we were going to live in wisconsin like kind of forever at that point and i i got into the brewers you know because my kids were going to be raised in that community and um you know the brewers are a cool team right you know there's no, there's nothing like morally objectionable about the brewers and we would go see games but i mean for me my heart I could I could sort of in my head root for the Brewers and like them and appreciate them and you know buy merch that has Brewers on it but you know in my heart am I ever anything but a Mariners fan? No, and I never I never will be anything but a Mariners fan. That's funny though cuz the Brewers are I mean as of the non-Mariners teams they're the most Seattle just having the the Pilots Foundation in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one yeah, year. That's kind of funny how that worked out. Yeah, and I and that was part of it. I mean, cuz like when I lived in um like I lived in Austin, Texas for a couple of years and like was I don't think that there was any chance that I would have become a Ranger fan 
like none whatsoever. <laughs> I never, I, I don't even yeah. think I would have taken the kids to see the Rangers. Um, like maybe the Astros, but then the Astros, of course, became this like uh, this unholy, <laughs> this unholy entity that has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. Um, so I'm, I'm glad I, I'm glad we left Texas before the kids came of age. So I never had to like be like, oh, guess what? I'm a cowboy fan now. That would be oh god, god yeah. Just just thinking about that like makes me makes me cringe. But I didn't have to ever face that. Um, so we moved to the more uh, morally acceptable Wisconsin teams, which like the Bucks are really cool. You know, like um, you yeah, know, like, I, I I like the Bucks right now, uh, and I did kind of form an attachment to them a little bit too. Right. Yeah. And the attachment thing is so powerful with sports, especially because I know for me, at least like that early stage can also lead you to get attached to like teams and players that aren't even very good at all. I mean, the 80s Mariners are a perfect example of this. So like when you're growing up and falling in love with the Mariners, who were your guys on the teams? I'm guessing mid 80s is like you know, Harold Reynolds, Spike Owen. But did you have someone who like you really, really love that was never a good baseball player? Oh, well, of course, my, most of my favorite Mariners were never yeah. <laughs> almost. No, um, but, you know, that team was it was cool. I mean, they they stunk, but they were fun. And I do, you know, Harold Reynolds was an early, you know, fan favorite uh, and he was a favorite of mine. Uh, Alvin Davis was great. Um, Mark Langston, you know was was pitching for him right when i turned on it he's great because i also i also have i also really really like left-handed pitchers uh, just as a thing mm-hmm. and uh and Lang- so Lang so langston uh you know he won a couple of strikeout titles uh there in like uh, i forget if it was 85 86 or 86 87 or 80 i forget which maybe 84 85 um but anyway so so those guys um and i and i could just name you know like phil bradley and spike owen yes um oh jim presley uh, really like Jim Presley because we were at a game once where he hit three home runs, uh, and it wasn't until many years later that I found out in retrospect that the Mariners' front office being obsessed with Jim Presley was why <laughs> Edgar Martinez was trapped for years, years in AAA, <laughs> um, which I try not to hold against Jim Presley. It's not Jim Presley's fault that uh, that they were that they were you know, keeping him around, even though Edgar Martinez was, you know, whatever, he was hitting like 400, 500, 900 in AAA for like three seasons <laughs> in a row. And then they finally called him up. Um, so, you know, nothing against, nothing against him. Oh, and Dave Valley, of course, you know, love Dave Valley. Um, so yeah, those, those, those 80s Mariners teams, they were, um, they were ridiculous. They were terrible. But when you're a kid, especially like, you know, just going to a baseball game uh, was its own reward and its own brand of fun. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't know anything different. So, you know, going to this weird, big, empty concrete dome, uh, to watch, you know, some guys in spandex lose a baseball game. That that just was, um, that just was baseball for me. Yeah. There's nothing better than that. And especially, uh, like eighties, you know, pre-internet, pre, you know, giant cable networks, pre MLB network and all that, like. You know that the Mariners are bad, that you can obviously read the standings, but it's not like you're exposed to it the same way you are when, you know, now there's all the talk about, oh, the Mariners haven't made the playoffs in this long. Like, that's the national narrative around the Mariners, Mm -hmm. whereas back then I imagine there's not really a national narrative at all. So you can just kind of decide what the Mariners are in your own head, even though you're seeing the losses 
play out in front of you. It's more like, okay, this is fine. Like, there's not, no one cares. There's not a lot of pressure the same way that there is on the Yankees or the Dodgers and they're losing all the time and the national media gloms onto that. Like, what was the, do you remember thinking anything about that as a kid? uh, No, I mean, not really, because I was just a kid. And, you know, we, we knew that we weren't good. And you did like like um, and this is this is just kind of general of of, of most uh, most of my sports experience living in Seattle in the 80s. It changed a lot in the 90s um, when Seattle sports became awesome. But uh, but in the 80s, it was usually like, you know, you rooted for the Seattle team during the regular season. And then you would just kind of pick what team in the playoffs you were going to root for yeah. in whatever. Um, so like I, I like sort of unashamedly, um, I really liked the like the Showtime Lakers um, because they, they were kind of cool. And I liked Magic Johnson and you had to root for somebody in the playoffs. So so let's just pick somebody. And I would do the same thing for baseball. And it, it didn't really occur to me as a kid to care about it. And as you say, like uh, the 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 net. Na- to the, there was no national narrative about the Seattle Mariners. Um, the Seattle Mariners were, I don't think, on anybody's radar. I think it was, I think it was very debatable whether or not the Seattle Mariners were even actually a baseball team, right? Because this is, these are the days when it, you know uh, games on the West Coast they would finish before uh, before the papers back east had to go to press. And so people would get up in the morning in Boston or New York to read about uh, to read the sports page. And it would literally say, like, oh, we don't know who won the baseball game uh, because, you know, the, the games weren't finished at press time. So the, the Mariners, they never won anything. They never produced any great players. If, I mean, until obviously a certain player came along. Uh, and I just don't think people thought about the Mariners at all, except except they would occasionally be used as proof that expansion had gone too far <laughs> and, and we, and there oh, should be no more extent. Yeah. I do. I do remember this, that like uh, expansion has gone too far. Look at this. You, we put this team in Seattle. Um, it's, it's grotesque. They use the designated hitter. They play on AstroTurf. They play inside. They can't draw fans. They can't win games. Like what, what is baseball even turning into? if we let this franchise exist and then you know i would just kind of wave my seven-year-old hand and you know toothless grin and be like yeah that's my team i love them (laughs) (laughs) man that is so bleak but also so mariners like that's really the essence of being a mariners fan is i I, I mean the thing that the thing you describe is kind of like the tree falling in the forest paradigm you know where it's like if no one even knows this is happening is it happening like besides for the people who have you know, Mariners on the radio and Mariners on TV, like that's it. And that's such a funny, like little bubble to be living and, in. And, and yeah, the, and they were on the radio and you, we could watch them. I, I forget when this actually started, but you know, you gotta, you gotta remember that really back in the day, they didn't want games broadcast on TV. And so for sure you could never watch a home game because they wanted you to go to the stadium. It's like you, you guys are doing this all backward. You have to get people interested in the team before they come to watch them. Um, and, and you could watch some road games on Channel Eleven, right? Um, but other than that, you, you know, it was it. Was, and we would go. We would go to um, ten, fifteen games a year, uh, and go sit out in the right field bleachers. And that that was that was kind of a very that was kind of a very standard, you know, random. And and what, what my dad would do. And this this is funny. This just came up. My, my dad was always keeping an eye on what teams were coming to town and what players were coming to town. 
And so part of us going to watch Mariner games was we would get to see these like great players, uh, these great players come to town. And so like he, he would make sure that we would always go see um, uh, the Tigers when they came because the Tigers were great back then. Those were like the Alan Trammell, like Lou Whitaker um, uh, Tigers. Who oh, were sure. Great. Yeah. You know, th- those were great teams. So we would go see them. And we were just talking about this because Tom Seaver just died. And when I was six, you know, dad made a point of taking us to a Red Sox game because because Tom Seaver ended his career. That was his last year as a pitcher was with the Red Sox in 86. And he was he started a game in Seattle and dad was like, we're going to go see Tom Seaver. And I'm like, who's Tom Seaver? I don't know who that is. Um, And he goes, just trust me, you'll you'll thank me later. Uh, for taking you to see Tom Seaver. And of course I did. And here we are, like uh, Tom Seaver unfortunately just died. And I sent my dad a text and I said, thank you for taking me to see Tom Seaver. Um, so there, there's, a lot, there's a lot of good in it. I have, I have literally no bad or like depressing memories about uh, life as a Mariner fan in the 80s. Um, you know, it's, it, they're all very positive memories. It was all tons of fun. That's great. And I, I feel like a lot of people are like nodding along in agreement on the uh, just going to see the other team's best player kind of thing. I mean, I think that's for the Mariners, especially. I think we've all been doing that for, for years and years. But I even remember my dad doing that uh, for me with the Sonics, like uh, early 2000s. So before Ray Allen and Richard Lewis really took off, I think Ray Allen was still in Milwaukee at this point. We would like go to see Kobe Bryant or Tim Duncan or Kevin Garnett and like not even worry at all about who the Sonics were playing. Like they had Gary Payton, but he was kind of aging and I think upset with management, which I didn't understand as a kid, obviously. But my dad was like, yeah, we're going, the Sonics are going to lose by 20, but maybe Kobe will have 60 points or whatever. And we were like, okay, like that sounds fun. And it was fun. And that actually helped me like get into the NBA the same way it sounds like you did with major league baseball just seeing what it's like supposed to look like is a very powerful tool yeah 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 so i so i got to see i got to see lots of really cool things i we we were at i i i attended um uh, i was at nolan ryan's last baseball game that he ever pitched in whoa yeah yeah yeah. because he 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 blew his arm out he he was gonna start i think this is this is later this is like i think this is 94 maybe it was 93 or 94 um and uh uh uh, he was gonna make his last road start in Seattle and then they were going to go back to, to Texas and he was going to have his last home start of his career. And instead what happened is he blew his arm out in like the first inning of the game against the Mariners. And that was it. That was his last, that was the last time Nolan Ryan ever, uh, ever threw a, a pitch in major league baseball. So we were there for that. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like one of those, like I was there for a great moment <laughs> and you're like, Oh, that was actually like quite sad. We'd, we'd go. It was the longest. I will say this though. It was the longing longest standing ovation i have ever participated in um i feel like i feel like we clapped for like like 15 minutes at least wow yeah because he he came out he went i mean everybody knew like the stadium was full everybody knew why we were there everybody knew that nolan ryan was pitching and then everybody knew when he blew his arm out and, and walked off the field like in pain that that was it um so we knew as i think as a stadium knew we were representing baseball fans um uh, for his last game so i i do actually think that the mariner the mariner fans we acquitted ourselves quite well and my hands got quite swollen uh, from clapping <laughs> for nolan ryan 
It's kind of a funny visual, though, just realizing, like, you're basically clapping for, like, a guy who dominated your team for so long. You know, I don't know what his numbers were, but just playing for Texas and Anaheim, you feel like Nolan Ryan had a lot of chances to just feast on the terrible Mariners. And you're like, yeah, thank you for everything. All the memories are negative for our team, but we can acknowledge you're a great pitcher. Like, that's a very, it's like, no, it's very Nolan, cordial. It's Nolan Ryan. What are you going to do? <laughs> Yeah. My only one that's kind of similar to that is uh, Tim Lincecum, when he played for the Angels, came to Seattle. And he's obviously like a local boy, yeah. Renton and UW and all that. And uh, it was during the the weekend where they were honoring Ken Griffey Jr. He had just gone into the Hall of Fame. Or maybe it was when they were retiring his number. Or maybe both. I don't know. But it was like Griffey weekend. And then there was also the added thing of like, oh, local kid Tim Lincecum, who grew up watching Griffey, is here. And Lincecum was bad at this point. This is yeah. like way after his yeah. Giants prime. And I think he gave up like three or four runs in the first inning. I remember Mike Zanino took him deep in the first inning and he was hitting like eighth or ninth. So like it was just all a disaster. And then when he was walking off the field, like they had to pull him mid inning and the, the crowd tried to give him that little like, oh, Tim, congrats. Like, you know, great career. Everyone kind of seeing him out. But you could tell that he was so pissed that it didn't really it didn't really work. Like he wasn't trying to acknowledge the crowd. He was trying to get out of there as quickly as possible. And meanwhile the crowd is like trying to show their appreciation. So that's kind of the only thing I have similar to Nolan Ryan, but that's not not quite the same, unfortunately. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, Okay, so Mike, you... Obviously, are a history guy. You've made your living studying history, writing about history, talking about history. Um, so I was curious how that applied to baseball for you, because obviously you have that historian part of your brain, and baseball, of all the major sports, probably has the deepest, richest history. Um, so we can get into that, but more specifically, I was wondering, uh, you know, is there a particular era of Mariner history that you find most intriguing? Because with such a young franchise... You know, you basically have, like, the pre-Griffey era and then the Griffey era and then Ichiro and then, like, Cano Cruz, if we can even call that an era. And now we're embarking on this new rebuild. Um, so what, like, what part of the Mariners do you find the most fascinating from, like, a history perspective? Well, I mean, I, I looking back on it, I have increasingly been present for most of the history of the franchise at this point. Right. Like if I if I if I'm turning on the lights in 1985, you know, I've been around for like most of it. Um, So I do in terms of history, most of this stuff is just my own lived experience. Right. So when I think about baseball history, that becomes anything before I'm aware of baseball. Um, Okay. And so 
and so but I, I can I mean I can answer your question objectively but personally it's like all the stuff that goes on from like from like 77 78 79 you know like Gaylord Perry pitched for the team and got his 300th win in a Mariner uniform um you know like uh, uh the uh, those those very first initial teams are still like a very a very weird uh sort of unknown entity uh, that I never experienced, which is which is weird because I've now at this point experienced almost every other iteration of the team because most of the guys who I was watching in 85 were around in 84 and 83. Um, so the, so those first five years, um, you know, are still kind of kind of this weird uh, uh, kind of mysterious, mysterious entity that I do, because I wasn't around for the Trident like that. That's what it is. It's like, you know, how the, like the logos change. And when I yeah. when I started watching, it was the star. It was like the star with the M, kind of like an M bursting out of a star. And so I never I never watched the Trident Mariners. Um, so the Trident Mariners are, are very are, are really cool. They also sucked. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, obviously. And I, yeah, and I like to joke that in those first uh, like like that Dave Parker's throw uh, in the nineteen seventy nine All Star game. Um, was like the third greatest moment in Mariners history <laughs> because it t- at least it yeah. took place in the kingdom. Um, but but other than that, like it's 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 really clear that there was there was a golden age of Mariner baseball um, that I got to live through. And so historically speaking, you know, it, it becomes depressing to me because it's it's the only really truly great you know, a uh, uh, period that we had, which is the Lupinelli years. You know, I, I just shorthand the golden age of, of Mariner baseball with the Lupinelli years. Um, but mm-hmm. those, those years were, they were special. They were great. They were wonderful. And, and I got to live through it as a teenager, you know, so like, like starting, starting from the time that I was, you know, like 11, 12, 13 years old is when they got good and then they were good until really through until after I was out of college. So I got to, I got to experience all that in real time. Um, and so, so that, that period is like obviously the best that the Mariners ever were the best that the Mariners ever had the best that the Mariners ever did. And, and as much as I like it from a historical perspective, I do start to get a little, you know, you kind of grit your teeth a little bit when the PR department goes back to the 95 Mariners again and again yeah. and again. And you're like, oh, here's, you know, let's bring out Joey Cora. Remember Joey Cora? And it's like, yeah, I remember Joey Cora. Hey, you know what you could do is put together a team that can win baseball games. And then we could have other <laughs> beloved teams uh, who, 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 we, who we celebrate in the future. So from I, I would like there to be more history made by the Mariners so that I can sort of reappreciate those years of like those years in the nineties without feeling, cause I feel a little guilty sometimes to be honest. Um, cause I'm, I'm middle-aged now and I think about like, I, I don't want to ask how old you are. I don't know if that's like a, a closely guarded secret that you don't want to reveal to anybody. Not um, at all. I was, I was born during the 1995 season. You were born during the. Um, uh, your parents refused to lose. <laughs> yeah, um, oh, it's actually my, my running my running joke on this show, and when I've talked to other people about why they're Mariners fans, is that like I saved the '95 season because so I was born July 3rd, '95, and well, I word. think that like the day that the day like on that day they were like very out of the race, you know, and then from my birth to the end of the season they played like 700 baseball. 
So my arrival in Seattle really changed the course well, of the entire franchise. Well, hats off to you, sir. I did not know that. Thank you very much. That was a great year. Um, but yeah, I would I would like to see I would like to see new history get made so that I can um, reappreciate that without feeling that kind of like pang of like oh I'm now I'm just an old man talking about when this team that once was good and it, you know if you're really if you're younger than me or if you know you are 15 years younger than me and you never really got to I think experience any of that and actually see them be good just watched a couple of teams flop um, my my third favorite team. Like my favorite team ever is '95 because that was, you know, that's an untouchable uh, moment. Uh, the second favorite, te- the second best team, and second favorite team was the 2001 team, obviously. Um, but my my like low key third favorite uh, team was the 2016 Mariners. Yeah, that was the, a fun year. That was a re. That was a, that was as much fun as I have had watching Mariners baseball in a really really long time. And it was like I felt it was like really noticeable to me. Because Cano was great, oh, Nelson Cruz, love him. I, I that man is beloved. Uh, Kyle Seeger was still great. That was the year they had Deho Lee. You know, came up. Yeah, I was gonna um, say everyone yeah. gets to Deho eventually. Like, yeah, who of were course. The good players, and then who was my favorite player? Yeah, it's Big Tiger, man. I love Big Tiger, and 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 Leonis Martin is. Uh, uh, I lo- I love him because I, I I just loved watching him play center field. Um, so right. that that 2016 Goody team was healthy that year too. Who Franklin was? Gutierrez was back. Oh, Franklin yeah. Gutierrez, oh, he had yeah. like sure, sure, sure. overcome all of his personal struggles. God, he was actually man. playing well. Yeah. Um, so so that that year, um, which I think it will be very very forgotten in the grand scheme of things because they didn't quite make it. But that that game that there was a, I think it was game 161. Is that the year? Is that the one where we got eliminated? I yeah, know. we're yeah one of the best Mariner memories of a whole decade, and it's oh, a game that they my, lost. It was, yeah. it was, it was. I mean, they lost that game, but that was, um, that was straight up one of the most emotionally. Um, uh, that was a journey, man. <laughs> that, that game, that game was a, as insane as any game I've ever watched. I, I got as much pleasure out of watching that game as any baseball game I've ever watched, and it ended with them, you know, losing. And that stinks. It ended with Kyle Seeger, you know, flying out, and that sucked. But that game itself was amazing. Which kind of, which kind of, you know, it feels like Mariners. You know, you, you, I can just imagine anytime I start talking about stuff like this, I imagine like Yankee fans or Red Sox fans or you know like maybe Dodger fans just kind of like patting me on the head and saying, "Oh, that's really adorable." <laughs> that, right. That uh, well, you know, well they lost in the end, but it sure was a great game. You know, that's we, we like those are like rationalizations, but it's not a rationalization. Um, I really loved watching that team, and they were great. It is a great memory too. I think it's the closest thing we've had to a playoff game since 2001 because that game was at Safeco, and they had like packed house. They had the little rally towel thing going, and it did like you said, it was a an emotional roller coaster. It feels like there was seven lead changes in that game very like, much yeah no i mean sixth inning on there was yeah runners and on nelson Cru- and nelson cruz who you know that at the end of that year I, I mean that was the year i like nelson cruz was just this like slugger right who was on the team um who i didn't like really think much about one way or the other it was just like oh okay nelson cruz he's on the team whatever um but he at the last like in september of that year like he was so hurt Every like you could just tell every part of him, his his core, his legs, his arms, every like probably his, you know, his ears probably hurt. Like every part of him just seemed like broken down Um, and he just never stopped 
giving i mean i and this this sounds like really old man bullshit but like he never stopped giving 110 percent um but he never did he the guy the guy just kept the guy just kept trying to get us into the playoffs and i love him for it he was still trying to like run out these these like little rinky dink uh, ground balls and uh and then yeah hit hit that home run in game 161 which i just yeah is is incredible incredible memory it sure is we had dave sims on the show and he pinpointed that exact home run as his favorite call he's made while being the Mariners play-by-play man and I encourage everyone at home to, to pull it up on YouTube if you type in Cruz 161 the home run off Doolittle comes up immediately and it's a great call you can hear I love it and Dave mentioned this as well you can hear his excitement rising because the ball comes off the bat and you're like okay maybe fly ball and then it keeps going it's one of those home runs that like backspins its way over the fence mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it keeps going and keeps going and you can almost hear him like standing up in his chair as he's calling it it's great so I think that helped me too like any moment that's tied to like a great play-by-play call really just elevates it to another level for me I mean obviously the double is the prime example of that but Dave Sims's call on Cruz's home run is also fantastic and I think that game has been imprinted in my brain partly because of that but the last thing I'll say about 2016 before we move on is that was one of the first years where the Mariners offense was like the fun thing to watch because 2014 they were also challenging for the playoffs and that was mostly just Felix and Iwakuma and then Robinson Cano who like wasn't really hitting for power but he would like spray doubles everywhere and you had to hope that like Logan Morrison or Brad Miller would come up big and then 2016 it's like oh my god we have Nelson Cruz, who's going to hit 40 home runs. Cano finally started hitting home runs. And those other guys you mentioned, like Martin, Seth Smith, Cattell Marte had some moments. Like yeah, that was actually yeah. fun to watch because oh, you didn't think that you were, yeah, yeah you didn't oh, think you were dad. giving away a bunch of outs every time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that, and that like um, that, and, and especially like in they they were all kind of in their prime. I mean Cano, blah blah blah. Okay, they're maybe not exactly in their prime, but that that three <laughs> four five of uh, Cruz Cano and Seager was really, you know, you can you can stack them up against any other, you know. I mean, we had A-Rod, Griffey, and Edgar Martinez going. Like, they were a, a better, right, than Cano, Cruz, and Seager. But if you actually look at what those three guys in 2016 were doing, it's, it's not that much different than what, you know, like, was going on between Griffey, A-Rod, and, say, Edgar Martinez. Like, they're not actually that far off of that pace. Um, it's very surprising. I mean, if you if you do a thing, like if you set the minimum plate appearances by whatever Nelson Cruz's number of plate appearances were as a Mariner, um, mm-hmm. I think that like his OPS plus is maybe like second or third best in franchise history. You know, like his yeah. numbers are as good as Edgar Martinez's numbers. You know, obviously Edgar had a whole decline phase in there, but um, but if, if if you just go pound for pound. Nelson Cruz was like one of the best hitters in the history of the Mariners. And he just kind of came and went. And, um, you know, for, for us who are still committed to the team and who still love the team, um, you know, we got to experience it, but it it does kind of bum me out that if the Mariners ever do get good again and they do, you know, get a following again, which I I feel like is just, I don't know when that's going to happen. Um, but they, they will have missed a really, a really, really cool, uh, a really, really cool part of Mariners history, which was that, that little run. Yeah, you got me to pull it up, by the way. I'm looking at the 2016 numbers right now. Cano had 39 home runs. Seager had 30. Nelson Cruz had 43 and slugged 555. Yeah, 
Nelson Cruz, and he's he's still man, he's still doing it over in over in over in Minnesota. He's great, yeah. He's great. And the funniest thing about Nelson Cruz is because he came from the Rangers, or I guess not directly. He was Rangers, and then one year in Baltimore, and then the Mariners got him. But when he was in Texas, I hated him. I I did not like him sure. at all. Yeah, me neither. The fact that he also got uh, busted for steroids, like it's so easy for the media to like make you hate those kind of guys, you yeah. know. And I was still relatively young and naive, so I was like, "Yeah, steroids are bad. I hate Nelson Cruz." And then he came to the Mariners, and I was like, "This is my favorite Mariner, maybe ever, because I just, I'm such a sucker for big, powerful home runs." I can, yeah, and you know, I was against that signing. Um, I, you know, I heard, you know, oh, great, you know, let's bring another big lumbering, aging, you know, post-decline slugger to the Mariners. This, this always works out for us. Um, oh, yay, Scott Spezio, <laughs> you know, <laughs> cool, great. Um, yeah. uh, uh, he was Dominican Richie Sexton, basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so, yeah, I was totally against that signing, and probably it was the best contract in the history of the team. Probably, yeah, which is quite the quite the thing to say. When you think about all the free agencies, or all the free agent signings, I should say, of the Bavese Jack Zarenzik era, and I guess Nelson Cruz was still technically a, a Zarenzik signing, but I feel like I associate him much more with Jerry Depoto. Um, but it is it's fascinating to realize like the Mariners have had so many misses, and then somehow they ended up with Robinson Cano and Nelson Cruz on the team at the same time. Yeah, very, I mean, very the, strange. I mean, obviously, the Robinson Cano thing was uh, one of the most bizarre things I've ever uh, experienced. I mean, the Yankees buy your favorite player. That's what the Yankees do. That's one of the reasons we all hate them is because, you know, they're always like, they're always side. Oh, Felix, he's going to look great in pinstripes and just you get, go away. You know, Felix is ours <laughs> yeah. and you can't have him. Right. That's, that's our, that's, that's what we say. Um, but to, uh, yeah, to have weirdly outbid the Yankees or the Yankees just weren't going to make the, make the deal. Um, and so we like Robinson Cano to the Mariners. Like, what is, what the heck is, and I also did not have any real feelings about Robinson Cano either, the same way that I kind of did about Cruz. He was just, he was a second baseman. He was pretty good. I know, I knew he had won like a home run derby at one point. Um, but he was just yeah. some, he was just some, to me, just like, just kind of some generic, pretty good second baseman. And, and I love, I mean, I started watching him play. He, I mean, he's as aesthetically pleasing a baseball player to watch as like anybody he's so cool the way the way he carried himself the way he like would uh, the way he would catch a ball in from the outfield the way his little his little under his little under he had the he had this great arm that that cross cross body throw that he could that he could pull off uh the way that he would just you know blow giant bubblegum bubbles while ripping doubles (laughs) you know like everything (laughs) about robinson cano was great so he's he's another dude that i i was really ambivalent about uh and of course, you know you're like, ah, okay. Well, I, they were desperate to sign somebody famous to a giant contract. Like they wanted to do that, uh, and they had been linked. Like leading up to that, they had been linked to uh, Prince Fielder, right? We were going to sign Prince Fielder, yeah. and I was like, oh god, that sounds like a bad idea. And then they were linked to Josh Hamilton. Like and all of these yeah. were like, are they going to give him ten? You know, ten years, two hundred and fifty million dollars to Josh Hamilton. I was like, no, that is a bad idea, and they didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. And then they and then they we were linked to Albert Pujols like qu- until yeah. quite late in in that process until he actually signed with the Angels. 
Uh, and even then I was like, God, you know, big, again, like big lumbering right hander in Safeco. Like, this is a bad idea. Don't do it. And then they signed Cano and I was like, well, you know, if it, if it had to be somebody, uh, the, the, okay, okay, let's do it. And then he turned out to be great. And it turns out I really like him too. So good on you. Yeah. Thank it's you. funny how that can work out. Like just knowing that, uh, your perception of them beforehand is going to change so drastically because I completely agree with you. Like I knew that Cano was good and was like an all-star and a you know, decent power hitter for a second baseman, but he was always like the guy who was next to Jeter, which is obviously not his fault, but like, that's just kind of what I thought of him. Like, Oh yeah, he's, he's a nice double play partner with Jeter and playing in Yankee stadium as a lefty, you can hit 30 home runs with your eyes closed kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But then he shows up here and I'm like, Oh my God, I like, I get it now. You know, like this is never something that I had, uh, even known that I wanted until it was here sort of thing. Um, but now that we're on the topic, um, thinking about past general managers and sort of the shitty regimes of Mariner history, uh, you host a podcast all about revolutions. Was there ever a point in your Mariner fandom where you thought like the organization should <laughs> overthrow Bill Bavese and try to depose him or like Jack Zarendic that you think we needed to like guillotine him at any point and uh... get him out of there? Like, what are your thoughts about the people in charge when they were leading the ship towards like horrible, horrible waters. Bavesi is a Bavesi is a villain. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm I don't I don't really have anything against him as a as a person. I don't know Bill Bavesi. He might. I mean, I'm, right. sure he, I'm sure he probably is a pretty uh, a decent human being on this earth, and you know, God bless him for that. But you know, the things that he did to prolong our suffering were many and varied and you just you know there's nothing that you can really do about it it's what it's one of those terrible things where like at least you know in in politics you can um we have elections and if you don't like somebody you can you can you feel like you can be a part of a process to get rid of somebody and in sports it's not really like that if there's a manager you don't like or a front office you don't like, or an ownership group you don't like, or a president of the club that you don't like, you can't really do anything about it. You're just you're just captured. You're just you're in their clutches, and you just have to watch them do um, really terrible things to the team uh, and and prolong it all. I don't have. Uh, I will. The thing I will say about Bavesi is that that was those years is actually when I got into when I first started reading Lookout Landing actually was was during those years and also uss mariner right when i that was when i discovered both those blogs and i got what i think is is a pretty nice master class in how not to run a franchise uh, <laughs> listening to or read reading i guess uh dave cameron and derek and like jeff sullivan really just dismantling on a nightly basis on a daily basis um everything that that the team was doing wrong. I came, I came out of, I came out of the ba- the Bavese years a much, um, I think a much more astute baseball fan than I was going into it uh, because I got to watch this sort of, um, you know, these dude, these re- really, really smart guys um, who are who are better at me than analytics. You know, I, I like history and I like baseball, but I'm not, I'm not an analytics. You know, I, I'm not, uh, I don't do spreadsheets. Um, sure. but, but watching watching really really intelligent analytically minded baseball fans just just tear apart 
<laughs> franchise in front the franchise that I root for and it was a nice it was a nice salve for like you know why uh, uh, why thing why everything was going wrong um but I I don't you know Zarenzik's deal he's he's a he's a weird he was a weird cat man um, yeah that was my that was my feeling on him as well I was like I think this guy's a you know below average GM but as a person I'm like don't want anything to do with him at yeah, all. Yeah, he, he gave me a very weird vibe. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that you, there were definitely stories about like try like other teams negotiating with him and him being like real sketchy about 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 the deals that he was making um and how he went about his business. Um and then clearly he was he was scrambling at the end to save his job and uh, and making all kinds of weird, you know, Mike Morse related <laughs> transactions. And, uh, uh, you know, you're just like, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to save your job. I want you to go away now. Um, so I don't want you to wreck the team trying to save your job. I want you to just go away now. But the, t- the team he actually built in, oh, gosh, that would have been like 2011, 2012, right, right in there, 2013, which was like mm-hmm. Ackley and Justin Smoke and Brendan Ryan and Kyle Seeger and yeah. – um, who else was out there? Nick, Saunders. Was Nick out Franklin there. is in there. Yeah. 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 So Michael Jesus Saunders. Montero. He, yeah. Well, Jesus Montero. I mean, he was going to be, you know, we, we don't know if he's going to stick at catcher, but, you know, you can just pencil him in for 40 home runs and 40 doubles every year. Um, <laughs> fucking Jesus Montero. My God. Um, so that whole, I really liked that whole team um, because I'm, that, that was, it was really, you know, as you said, we, we were going through, uh, there were many, many, many years where, you know, pitching and defense was supposed to be the thing. Um, and, you know, watching that watching that team that he built, I was very excited about them. I was like, they, this, this is a good young team. Like, this is the team that's going to be the sort of, these are the boys who are going to give us a nice, like maybe three playoff appearances in the next six years is what I'm expecting out of this team. And Felix is in his prime. Um, you know, Zarenzik brought in Cliff Lee, Right, like Cliff Lee, we had Cliff Lee yeah. <laughs> for like for like three months, um, like that. I I remember I remember when he signed Cliff Lee, and I was like Jack, that was I was like Jack Zarenzik is I don't know what this guy is doing, but he is amazing because I loved Cliff Lee um, even before. Yeah, no, we all did. Ever, yeah, he was because he worked so fast. You know, he's not he's like he's like the anti Miguel Batista. Right. He, he would just get out there and he would throw the ball instead of wandering around for 15 minutes before he actually throws another pitch. Um, so so I was I was really excited about those teams and then just sort of watching it all um, sort of not happen. There, there wasn't anything. It's not like it blew up. It's not like it. Uh, it, it there's no dramatic moment where that team didn't click. It was just kind of slowly week in and day in and day out, week in and week out. They just kind of didn't perform up to expectations. Ackley didn't turn into who we thought Ackley was going to turn into and smoke didn't turn into who we thought he was going to turn into. Um, and that just kind of happened to the entire, uh, to the entire set of players. And I really, I, to this day, I don't know what is to blame for that. Like, is that just coaching and player personnel and, and uh, player development? Uh, was it just a bunch of guys who all happened to go bust at the same time? And it was a coincidence, you know, like what, like what the hell was that about? Because that happens a lot to the Mariners, you know, guys, guys it come sure up and you, and you have, you have a lot of expectations and then they just kind of don't perform the way that you would expect them to perform. And at a certain point, you're just like, ah, maybe this whole franchise is just, I mean, badly run, 
and oh, I was gonna say that's where you get into curse territory. Well, also. no, I, those, well, those that's the thing. Like, to creep in. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they're cursed because I. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I don't believe in curses. I don't think the sure. curse, I don't believe that curses are actually a thing. And I'm and I'm even like weirdly superstitious. I have I have superstitions, um, but 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 cursed isn't one of them. It comes it comes down to just the suspicion that all franchises are not created equal. Um, that you kind of think, well, there's there's a pool of professional uh, organizational uh, 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 employees who will run a franchise, you know, who, who's, who's teaching guys how to hit at double a, or who are the trainers and, uh, just who, who's keeping an eye on shepherding these 18 and 19 year olds to the big leagues. And who's then in the big leagues, making sure that they can transition from triple a to major league level talent, because there's a huge difference between triple a and the major leagues, because there's no, there's no cap. There's no other league that guys like Mike Trout or Clayton Kershaw will go to if they're sufficiently good enough. Um, whereas right. if you're in AAA, if a guy gets good enough, he's going off to the he's going off to the big leagues, and you never actually have to face him. So making that transition from AAA to the major leagues is like a really really important thing. And the Mariners have just never. I just don't feel like the Mariners have ever managed that well, managed that transition well for anybody. Seager Seager somehow slipped through the cracks. I think because they weren't paying attention. Um, yeah, like he figured it out on his own. But you watch, you know, you watch the Cardinals um, or the Dodgers or, you know, the Yankees are pretty yeah. good at it. A lot, the, the Rays. Tampa's the annoying one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Tampa. I mean, Oakland, every, you know, Oakland does it, um, you know, and, and I guess that I guess some of that just comes down to because at a certain point you're like, oh, well, they got lucky. Well, they got lucky. Oh, you know, like it could have happened to anybody. And then at a certain point, you're just like, if I took these same guys and I put them into the Cardinals organization, right? Would would they have all fallen apart like that? And I think the answer is no. I think that the Cardinals would have managed that better, and I think they would have gotten a lot more out of those dudes than the Mariners did. Right. And, and not to beat this dead horse that everyone loves to talk about, but like we've actually seen real life examples. Like Chris Taylor could not hit anything when he was a Mariner, and then he goes to the Dodgers. They change his swing, and he was like, I think he won NLCS MVP. Like he was the best player in a whole playoff series once, and he literally could not hit the baseball when he was in Seattle. Sure, and people would say, people. I remember when that happened, and uh, my friends, because uh, I was I wasn't in Seattle at the time. I was and, and when you when you leave Seattle and you become a Mariner fan, then you're just in like a milieu. Like, oh, Mike, he's the he's the representative, you know, Mariner fan. Right. So he's the one we'll talk to about Mariners related things. Um, which are few and far between, <laughs> um, but yeah, when, when he when he really uh, blew up for the the Dodgers, they were like, "Oh, are you bummed that he he got good right when he left the team?" And I was like, "He got good because he left the team, right? Like exactly. That's, that's what happened. They looked at his swing. They suggested improvements. He took the suggestions. He got way better. You know what? Where are the people inside the Seattle Mariners?" Who are able to make those suggestions and then like sure there are guys who you know they say oh he won't listen he won't take instruction um well they're you know offering the offering instruction and then figuring out ways to get people who are initially resistant to accept the instruction that too is a talent that too is a skill and if you don't have those skills if you can't get somebody to listen to suggestions or you don't know how to make those suggestions. And that is a problem with the personnel running the team, not necessarily just the players. I think a lot of our players have been very good on, uh, on, on their talent level and on their potential. 
uh, to play. But, you know, our ability to transition them into major league, major league baseball players has been abysmal, abysmal across regimes, across the years. And I don't, I don't know what that's about, man. Cause I don't, cause I don't know enough. I, I'm not sitting here with like an org roster of, you know, who, who are the, who are the directors of, um, <laughs> like who, who these, yeah. who these people actually are Who's not, responsible, who is responsible yeah, yeah. for this? Um, because, <laughs> because it's not just the ownership it, and it's not the players themselves. There's some, there's some, there's some connection in here that is happening that, um, player development has been a real curse, uh, a, a real cursed part of the Mariners, uh, uh, operations. It's not just our payroll. Man, it's not just it. There's, there's no. I don't think that there are any outside structural factors that would make it so that the Mariners couldn't compete if they were better run. Yeah, and even when, like you mentioned, the 2010 team that had Cliff Lee, um, like even when the roster is mostly like established big leaguers, like that team wasn't like prospect led. It was, you know, it was Cliff Lee and Ichiro and Felix and all them. And like that team, according to actually Ryan Roland Smith, who was on this show, not to plug our own show, but this is relevant. He said that it was just a chemistry thing. And like that really opened my eyes to like how much that shit actually matters. Because, you know, analytically minded people will tell you that that's like not as important as just being able to go play baseball. But if the locker room atmosphere is affecting the way that you're like able to play baseball, that's going to be a problem. So Ryan Roland Smith mentioned by name, like Sean Figgins and Casey Kochman, two of Mariners fans, most hated people ever. Like they were a bad clubhouse presence. And like that to me says that when you're evaluating these players, you should also make sure that they're not going to be assholes. Like that doesn't seem revolutionary, but it's important enough, I guess, that it could derail a whole team. Like that 2010 team on paper should have competed, but apparently just you know no one really wanted to be there like any workplace if you don't want to be there the product is going to suffer so i think that that's something that like is no way to quantify it obviously but like that's the hope for this current regime where like they're you know the whole team is basically 25 and under or it will be soon and like you got to make sure that these guys actually like each other and like want to compete for each other and by all accounts they are but that's the part where i'm like really I would love to get some more information on it because there's no way to see it in a spreadsheet. Like you said. right, it's it's re- it's really hard. It's really hard to to quantify that part. And 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 of course, like when when you know when analytics came along, you know there was there was such a heavy and I and obviously like correct um, pushback against this notion that that chemistry was everything. And oh, that guy's just a winner. He knows how to win. It's like that guy knows how to win because you know, like, <laughs> because he's got a great lineup. You know, like, like, pit, like, starting pitchers are not winners yeah. unless they have really good position players who like hit home runs um, behind them, or they have really good defenses behind them. I, I remember I, one time I did a, a thing about uh, about Jim Palmer, where I th- I actually think that uh, objectively Jim Palmer was quite a mediocre pitcher, but he just so happened to have um, probably the single greatest. Uh, set of defensive players behind him in the history of baseball, um, but Jim mm. Palmer's a winner. Um, yeah, the, you, go 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 look up the defensive stats for those '70s Orioles teams. They are insane. Um, but but the point being that like I think that there was a really good corrective against this whole like we're bringing that guy in because he's a winner. We're bringing this guy in because like in an RBI situation he's an RBI man. <laughs> what does that even yeah. What does that even mean? Um, but I th- I do think that it's possible that we go too far with that 
and do and do ignore. I th I think that that happened with closers when you know uh, when it was like you just do bullpen by committee. You know, don't have a closer. We don't need a closer. You don't have to have a guy who's like he's got a shut down mentality. Um, but it, it did sound like once once you started listening to once you actually start listening to the players, you know those guys out in the bullpen they enjoyed being assigned roles. They liked knowing when they had to gear up mentally. They liked knowing what they had to gear up mentally for. They didn't like just being eight guys who any one of them could be randomly called on at any time. It actually screwed with their with their ability to perform at the level that they were capable of performing at. So I think that like the big the big push to try to eliminate the closer and sort of set up roles uh, uh, didn't pan out. And, and we still have closers. We still kind of have that. But partly because there is psychology that goes into it. And there is there is a there is a psychological element to playing the game that, as you say, like um, if the if the workplace is toxic, the you know, the product will will stink. Yeah. And like it's crazy that every other profession seems to understand that but baseball and sports at large have taken a while to come around like it's obviously like a conversation within the team i would imagine like there are players on every team who probably hate another player on the team but the fact that like it has to be sort of like taken with a grain of salt because like you said there's there's one element of it where oh the the clubhouse is bad but the guy who's bad in the clubhouse also is hitting 320 like what do we do there you know and it's like well if he's dragging everyone down to the point that they don't want to play with him maybe you should get rid of him and that can be a tough pill to swallow and i'm sure for gms like one of the hardest things to navigate is like how do we manage the human side of this versus how good this guy is yeah at and, and like and there are there are different kind because there are different there there's different kinds of chemistry and different kinds of chemistry that are bad right because there have been teams um, the and I can I can name two off the top of my head, which is like the 1970s. Well, they're both in the 70s, and and coincidentally, both involve Reggie Jackson. Um, but the 70s mm. A's and the 70s Yankees, like the Billy those Billy Martin teams, the Bronx Zoo Yankees, were famously yeah. those guys were at each other's throats like all the fucking time. They were fighting. They were brawling. literally they yeah. hate, they hated <laughs> like, those, the those, yeah. those guys hated each other, and then. The um the wor working for Charlie Finley sounded like you know as bad as bad a workplace as you could possibly have. Those guys those guys hated their bosses. They hated being there. You know the the one thing they had in common was the fact that they all despised him and the team. Um, but they had to play for and them. mustaches. And they all yeah, had mustaches. Well, and they they had mustaches because they got paid bonuses to have mustaches. Yeah. Um. So and and I whatever um you know Reggie Jackson was on both those teams. So there are times when bad chemistry still just like wins you World Series year after year. But there maybe those guys, it wasn't bad chemistry for them because they were all had such a like combative, angry, you know, chip on their shoulder. Let's I'm you know nobody's gonna fucking tell me what's what. Like if you're all walking around with that kind of combative swagger, then maybe that's good chemistry for your team, even though it looks from the outside yeah. like really tempestuous, like. Maybe that is what those guys needed to do to win. Whereas, you know, right across, right, like right at that same era, you had those Pirates teams, like the We Are Family Pirates teams, um, where those guys were all, those guys were all best friends. You know, they were, they were having, they were just having this rolling party. And Willie Stargell made, you, you know, made that team just like this big, you know, happy family. Uh, and both of those are chemistries that can win, but it just is what, what is, what's the environment that your team needs? And 
like what Ryan Roland Smith is talking about just sounds like really just like depressing and resentful more than, you know, like, like tempest, like angry and combative. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, yeah, that's absolutely what he's, what he said. Too. Yeah. And I yeah, love the idea, sullen. Of, the idea so, of like those seventies Yankees teams being like, I'm going to hit this three run home run right now. So the guy on deck can't hit a three run home run. Yeah, totally. Like, that's like if that's that, very funny to me. If, if that's, if, I mean, if that's what motivates you to win, then that's what motivates you to win. And so it does, it doesn't, good chemistry doesn't always look the same. And good chemistry can often look like bad chemistry. And, um, you know, everybody knows that the best chemistry of all is whatever's happening with any team that wins. Because, um, like, there was the, the, like, the beer and chicken uh, Red Sox, right? Like the yeah. beer, the beer and chicken Red Sox had terrible chemistry and they lost. But if they had pulled that out and just won a few more games, then the beer and chicken Red Sox are like this goofy team. Oh, they oh they're always eating you know they're always eating chicken and drinking beer in the clubhouse and like playing cards and they're like what a what a fun loving bunch and and they went on and won. But instead they lost. So the story becomes, you know, they weren't focused on the game. They didn't really care. You know, they were just they were just dinking around and and, and screwing off. Um, so, so some of these narratives do really get defined by whether or not you won a few games here or lost a few games there. Absolutely. Okay, Mike, we're running out of time, but I want to get you out of here on this. And I think our listeners would be curious to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, we know you live in France and that probably makes things very difficult, but, uh, I want to know where you're at with the 2020 Mariners or kind of the state of the organization, uh, in general, this is one of the. The only times in recent memory where like the future seems like it'll be better than the present. And I'm wondering if you feel that way, if you've been paying attention to the minors, like it sounds like you're not a huge prospect guy, but I'm sure, you know, a little bit. So just, you know, there's no real question here besides just like, how are you feeling about the Seattle Mariners right now? Um, how am I feeling about the Seattle Mariners right now? Okay. Um, I, so I do live in, I do live in France now. And my ability to, uh, you know, like the nine hour time difference to Seattle is a killer because, you know, 7.05 start time or 7.10 start time is like three o'clock in the morning, um, three, four in the morning. So I, I don't get to see any of those games. But Sunday, Sunday day games start at 10 p.m. for me. So I am usually able to watch about six innings of Mariners baseball per week. <laughs> it's quite a treat on Sunday nights. I get to watch six innings and then usually I fall asleep because it's, it's like midnight and I am like a middle-aged man now and I can't, I can't stay up past midnight. Um, but I, I will say the following things. I really, really like this team. I really like them as players. I'm very well disposed towards these guys. This is not, this is not a bunch of dudes where I'm like, ah, oh, God, these guys, I hate them. Um, Shedlong is cool. Uh, you know, D Gordon is great. JP Crawford. Cool. Um, I, I like them all. You know, I think it's, I think it's a cool team. I really, really like uh, Evan White. I hope he learns how to hit, you know, (laughs) like (laughs) he's um, getting there. He's, he's improved a lot in the last like two weeks or so. Oh, has he? Okay. I, and I've, I'm finishing a manuscript for a book right now. So I have like been really, really unplugged from everything. Um, So that's good to hear. I'm I'm glad to hear. And I'm going to, I'm actually going to turn this around on you here in a second. But um, my my feeling about it is that I like the team, I like the guys. I hope they pan out. Um, I hope they blow. I hope they. I hope they blossom. Right. I hope the Mariners finally figure out a way to get um, uh, potential to get potential talent to become actual talent. 
um, because I like these guys and I want them to do well and I want the team to do well. And I want us, I would like to look forward to having a core of players that again, does this thing where we get, you know, at, at least two playoff appearances in five years, you know, at some point in the next couple of years, sounds really, really good to me. Um, so I would like to see that happen. It, you can't really do anything but be hopeful and optimistic because what, I mean, what else, what else can we possibly be? I will say though, to, you know, uh, younger members of the audience, like if you, if you see old cynical grizzled Mariner fans, um, you know, poo pooing everybody and being like, ah, they'll never pan out or, you know, like, ah, you know, prospect hit rates or blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, we've seen we've seen teams blow up before. You know, we've we've all been excited by prospects before. You know, we've all been told this is the future. The future is coming, and then we've watched it not happen. You know, we've been watching we've been watching this story for 20, 20 years, and I know it's a different organization now. I know it's a different general manager, but like, if we're a little pessimistic and churlish from time to time and uh, and aren't as excited, it's it's really it's mostly just like there's a there's a bit of scar tissue built up on our hearts um but my my objective opinion and my official position is i i like them as players and i hope they do great and i'm rooting for them 100 percent. so but before we but before we go because i've obviously been unplugged for a little bit how how are they doing i noticed that we're supposed to be um tanking so we can get high draft picks and we're like in third place so what's up with that yeah yeah, it's pretty hilarious, in my opinion. The Mariners are closer to the playoffs right now than they are a top-five draft pick. Um, obviously, a lot of that is because of the weird COVID season and how like half the league gets in the playoffs. But I think last night, they were they won yesterday, and then the Yankees lost. So I think that brought them to like two games out of a playoff spot, which is hard to fathom, but like there's not even that much of the season left. I think it's like 18 games. So, like, I'm fully on board for, like, a, a playoff push. I mean, they're not going to sell anyone now, obviously, but, like, I think that the mentality has totally flipped, and I'm sure the players are noticing it, too. Like, they knew coming into the season they were tanking, like you said, but now that they've, like, kind of fucked around and become a good team, like, they're going to want to keep being a good team. So I think that this season, I mean, it kind of feels like playing with house money from the beginning anyway because we're lucky to even have a season, but I think that the... The fact that they've like accidentally been so good is a great is a great <laughs> so, outcome. So Mariners, man. <laughs> like Because there's also the mental thing we talked about. Like yeah. most of these guys are very young or playing their first season and like if they have a good experience in their first season, that's only gonna be positive mentally. You know, like if they had come into this season and like had to shut everything down after spring training and then work themselves back up and then finish in last place during like a depressing season as it is, that would be terrible. And the fact that it's been much, much better than that, I think can only be construed as extremely positive, even if we lose out on a cool draft pick. Yeah. And I mean, when we'll probably just draft somebody who doesn't pan out anyway, because we're also very good at that. You know, but what are we getting? I mean, that's the other thing. What are we even going to do with a draft pick? <laughs> you know, um, you know, draft somebody good. Uh, it, it, it does. It does. Remind, but it, that's all. That's all really nice to hear. And it, it, like when I was watching them, because I kind of keep one eye on the standings. And when I was watching them, like not just like kind of settle into last place and live there. Um, there was that year where we were going to have the first pick in the draft and whoever got the first pick in the draft was going to draft Steven Strasburg and yeah. the, and the Mariners went into Oakland 
And I think I, I I'm, I'm I'm probably gonna not get this exactly right, but I think we had to lose two games, and we would finish with the worst record and get the number one draft pick. And they swept the A's in that last series, giving us second. Yep, pick I believe that's exactly what happened. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. Well, I know that we swept the A's. I forget. I forget if I forget, I forget what the actual number of games we were supposed to lose, and we couldn't do it. <laughs> we, we went in and swept the last series of the year and got. But it's okay because we got Dustin Ackley, uh, future cornerstone of the franchise. Uh, Dustin Ackley. And sadly, too, like one of the better uh, prospects of that era. Like he was bad. I think most Mariners fans like have negative associations, but the reality of the situation is he's probably the second best of that group after Kyle Seeger. Oh, like even in terms of like what he was able to do? Yeah. Like, even, like his even, value even, actually, right. His he, value was like bad, but still good relative to the Nick Franklin's, Jesus Montero's, like the other people that he was like competing with. He was actually a decent player. Yeah. Dustin, Dustin Ackley is a lot of my sort of, there, there, there's a lot of scar tissue on my heart <laughs> with Dustin Ackley's name inscribed on it. Cause I really yeah, thought, I, I mean, bet. I mean, what, what are you going to do? Like, what, what are you going to do? Not think that he's going to be a great hitter. Like he just looked like he, there was no way he couldn't just, he was going to have 10 years of, you know, rope and 40, 45 doubles nonstop. Yeah. Right? Just, just, we all thought he was chase Utley. Like yeah, man. Um, his swing would play no matter what, <laughs> no matter what, like, that's the thing you hear this, like, no matter what he'll hit, he might not stick a second, but no matter what he's going to hit. And he came up those first, like, um, you know, that first, like, two months, he, he got called up at the end of that season, and he was great. And it was just like, fuck, yes, we have, you know, we have a great player again. This is amazing. And then he just, um, you know, I, I, I suppose it was just that outside, like, lefty strike that he never he never adapted to. And I'm sure there were other things that were going on, but that's that's the one I remember. Um, but how, how, come, how come they couldn't turn Dustin Ackley into something? Like, why, why, why did that happen? I don't know. Yeah, that's the ultimate question. And I would love to hear from Dustin himself, but I'm sure he's kind of hesitant to talk about it. Maybe we'll get a Dustin Ackley tell-all book one day. Yeah, I'm sure he... <laughs> do, do, we, do we really want a Dustin Ackley tell-all book? Oh, man. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, Dustin Ackley. But to pull you back the other way yeah, before we yeah, end yeah, on yeah, just yeah. a very sour note. Yeah, so yeah. Kyle well, Lewis well, is has yeah. been unbelievable. And he had the, the Ackley thing where he came up at the end of last year and was really, really good. But you have that thought of like, okay, well, this is a September call-up. Like, who knows if he'll come back next year and do it again. And he's come back this year and been even better. Like, yeah, he's not only, I think, going to win Rookie of the Year. He's like top seven MVP candidate. Like, he's 300, 400, 500 right now. His WRC Plus is 154. Like, he's hitting home runs, like, regularly. Yeah. It's not like he'll hit two in one game and then slump for a week. And then he's had some slumps, obviously, as any young player will. But where he's at right now is way above everyone's expectations. And yeah, I yeah, think yeah. That yeah, I'm looking he's at He's doing fan. enough. Yeah, he's doing enough in this season, as short as it is, to, like, show that this is kind of the real deal. Yeah, hope, and, least, and, you know? and, like, and like kind of, kind of like grizzled, sour Mike. Um, you know, like, he struck out. He was striking out so much. Um, yeah, it was just like, ah, you know, that doesn't seem great, but it seems like his strikeout rate has come down quite a bit. Um, since the last time I looked at it and got a 13.6% walk rate. That's lovely. Um, yeah, that's a nice slash line. Ooh, right. So he's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's the one that you can actually pin your expectations on, yeah. especially if these new prospects, 
come up and supplement him, you know, yeah, then. Like and if it, you have and, Lewis already and then you get reinforcements, we're golden. And it's, and it's not, you know, like, as you said, like, uh, on just on a kind of a, a, a abstract, you know, chemistry level, it seems like these guys are enjoying it, you know, and enjoying each other. And it sounds like I just, I don't hear any, ever anything good, uh, nothing but good things about like D Gordon. Um, and mm-hmm. the influence that he has had on all of these young guys who are coming up. Um, I just, I, I do, I do think that there might be something here. Um, you know, I'll probably, you know, remain a have like just have a kind of a cynical pessimistic edge to me because of the years of watching it not pan out. Um, but it's, it's, it's as, it's as good and as cool a team as the last time I was <laughs> excited about a bunch of young players. Um, so I'm just gonna look at Kyle Lewis's slash line right now and uh, and be happy with with how things are going. <laughs> That's great. I wish everyone would do that instead of hypothetically wondering what it'll look like in four years. Like just enjoy now while it's here because we've rarely ever had this. You know, yeah. it's been a while since we've had a player come up and instantly be this good. So might right. as well cherish it every night. Yeah, life is fleeting, and. You know, <laughs> the game the game in front of you is the thing that matters. But the but the future is bright, right? Um Absolutely. In that in that where we're telling ourselves the future is bright. It's a hell of a weird time to have to have decided to float that as a PR show, <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like they sat around they're like, let's go with the future is bright because we've got all these prospects. And it's like, have you, have you looked out the window lately? Yeah. I don't know if people are going to buy that. Is there a future? <laughs> is, but is the future bright? And I will say that um, I, got, I got invited, and I'm going to do it, to um, uh, if you read the Baseball Prospectus Annual, um, I, will oh, be yeah. writing the, I will be writing the Mariners essay this year. Um, and uh, it will be called The Future is Bright. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. We'll yeah. uh, keep you an eye all, out for that. You can that. all look forward to that. Now that I've revealed that I've, I watch exactly six innings of 2020 Mariners baseball, um, but I promise it'll be relevant and, and you'll like it and, and the things I have to say. And I'll probably use um, things that we've talked about this evening um, in, the, in the essay as I put it together. Wonderful. I can't wait for my royalty checks to come in on that. Mark? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm just going to steal from you. Like, don't, aren't, you, aren't you employed by like right. SB Nation? Like, do they even pay you? Yeah, no, yeah. Vox, Vox throws me a little bit of beer money every month. It's oh, fine. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, Mike, you have your, you've plugged your, uh, your biography that's coming up, and now the annual baseball prospectus essay. Is there anything else you want to direct people's attention to um, before we let you go? Oh, um, I mean, I do the Revolutions podcast. It's it's on a temporary hiatus right now, but I'm in the middle of the Russian Revolution. If you ever want to come around and listen to me talk about things that aren't baseball related. Um, and then I did a, uh, a show called the history of Rome many, many years ago that does, that does have a few baseball references thrown into it. There's a, there's a very long, um, uh, analogy where I compare one Roman emperor to Sandy Koufax. And then I also put in, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, uh, this Aurelian, by the way, who's the Sandy Koufax of emperors, very high peak value, not a, not a long career, but very high peak value. <laughs> uh, Aurelian had, that's an incredible, I mean, just an incredible run from 270 to 275 AD before he was assassinated. Uh, and then I also said in the history of Rome, there was a, I had to take a week off because I was going, I was living in Portland and we went up to Safeco to see Randy Johnson uh, when he was with the Giants. And he was, he was maybe going to win his 300th game. But I think it was the first time that Randy Johnson had come back to pitch in Safeco uh, since he left the team. 
and and I went up to watch him and stated stated for the record many years ago that Randy Johnson was and will always be the greatest left-handed pitcher who ever lived which I still get emails about people are like what about Lefty Grove it's like you Lefty Grove it's Randy Johnson <laughs> come on Lefty Grove probably threw like 88 miles yeah, an hour. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Steve Carlton, no, 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 no. What about Warren Spahn? No, if you take Warren Spahn's career and stick Sandy Koufax's peak in the middle of it, that's Randy Johnson. Do you understand what I am right. saying to you? Um, and I know this is not how it works, but also if you took Randy Johnson and put him in the 40s, like dudes would forfeit the game. They would not want any part of that. <laughs> like looking at Randy Johnson in 1945 would make people retire from baseball. That's true. People wouldn't play against him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I loved watching Randy Johnson. I, and, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, maybe we can go, we'll go out on this as like a nostalgia trip. But like, you know, the Mariners have never won the World Series. The Mariners have never even been to the World Series. But, and I know that it's like, you know, you, so at a certain point you have to like rationalize your fandom. But I, I don't really have any regrets or um, uh, sourness really, truly about being a Mariner fan. Because like I, you know, Randy Johnson pitched for my baseball team for many, many years when and and I got to watch him pitch every five games. Um, Ken Griffey Jr. played for my baseball team when he was good. Alex Rodriguez did and Edgar Martinez did. And I watched Ichiro and I watched Felix Hernandez. And we have had really great players come through the team and they have performed night after night. And I've gotten to watch them play and root for them unabashedly. And, you know, I got to watch Edgar Martinez and I just got to go to Cooperstown last year. Um, and so I was there for, you know, like I got to see Edgar Martinez's plaque in the Hall of Fame and be thrilled for him, uh, you know, as a, just on a, on a human level that they finally, you know, came to their senses and put him in the Hall of Fame. And I got to watch him. I got to watch Edgar Martinez hit every single night. I got to watch John Olerud. Um, you know, I got to watch Jamie Moyer. You know, I can love Jamie Moyer. Jamie Moyer's like, we didn't even talk about him, but he's, he's like, he's like easily one yeah. of my favorite Mariners. You know, I love Jamie Moyer. So when I, when I think about the team and when I think about being a Mariner fan, mostly the, I remember the good times and the good players and the things that I love about being a baseball fan rather than like the disappointments or the things that I hate about being a baseball fan or just any time that you, you're like, God, I, I really, maybe we should make the playoffs someday <laughs> you know maybe that, maybe that would be like a cool thing to happen again because it used to happen i do remember it used to happen it was really fun i mean i went to a lot of those playoff games um so i guess i guess we'll leave it with um with i, I really do i love the team and i've loved the players and we have had a lot we've had a lot um to uh to appreciate and I, that i'm thankful for Right. The thesis of what you said and maybe what we'll title this episode is things could be worse, you know? Boy, that's true. Things could be worse. But could they? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned but, it but really they? early on. They could have moved to Oklahoma City, you know? That's that's one thing that would have been way uh, worse. Well, than I mean, no, it was, it was gonna be it was gonna be Tampa Bay, man. There was like every exactly, every, yeah. Yeah, every every year um every year there was like talk about whether or not they were gonna move to Tampa. Um, and then we, and then 95 saved the team and then we successfully ex, uh, you know, escorted or uh, excuse me, uh, extorted, a, a stadium out of King County, which was nice. Um, yeah. So they didn't move to Tampa. It could be worse. They could have left. That's, that's really true. You're right, man. It could be worse. They could have left. They could have gone and become the Tampa Bay Mariners 
and won 19 World Series in 22 appearances. And, you know, I'd just be sitting here twiddling my thumb being like, well, at least I've got the Sonics. (laughs) At least the Sonics will never leave me. (laughs) Go Peyton. Go Kemp. Uh Oh, being a Seattle, man. being a Seattle sports fan is like bizarre, and I'm not, and I'm not really a huge uh, football fan, so I don't even really get the full um, Seahawk experience because American. Yeah, you football. don't get the good one. It's yeah, like. I don't even. Yeah, I don't even get the good. Like I was rooting for him. I was so happy for like all my friends. Um, and I, I mean, I watched. Uh, you know, I watched that run, and was and was happy. But you know, American football is not like my favorite sport by a long shot. Yeah. All right, Michael, thank you for doing this. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to commiserate with us. And uh, for everyone at home, check out all of Mike's work. Please keep listening to this podcast and subscribe to it. If you feel so inclined, we'll have Mariner coverage for you for the rest of this season, even if it goes into the weird COVID playoffs. Um, but thanks, everyone. Mike, any final words before we let you go? Go Mariners. The future is bright. Perfect. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. I'm so bossy, bitch, get off me. It's a different jingle when you hear these car keys.